0: Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation with the CEO of a company that is passionate about delivering healthcare to all Americans, that is in contrast to sick care. We're going to get right to it today. We're joined by Brett Jorgensen, Chairman and CEO of MDVIP. Brett, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks. Glad to be here.
0: Thanks for making the time. Before we begin our discussion... Could you take a few seconds and inform the audience about you and your background, Brett?
1: Sure. I'm a longtime healthcare executive. I've been in healthcare and healthcare services for 25, 26 years, mostly in the uh, various forms of provider-side healthcare with a strong focus on consumer-engaged healthcare. And I'm now chairman and CEO of MDBIP.
0: And this is your second time around with MDBIP, is that correct?
1: Yeah, it is unusual. But yes, I actually was involved and I was the CEO a number of years back and the company ended up being sold to Procter & Gamble. I should say it was bought. We weren't actively looking to be sold, but Procter & Gamble was interested in the company and made an offer to buy the company. So they purchased the company and I remained on the board while they owned it. And then About a year ago, I worked with uh, the same private equity firm, Summit Partners, that was an investor the first go-round. I worked with the same firm to buy MDVIP back from Procter & Gamble. So Summit Partners purchased the company. Uh, I invested alongside with them, and we uh, bought the company back from P&G.
0: That's great. Could you take a couple minutes and provide the audience with a 10000 put overview of MDVIP?
1: Sure. So MDVIP is the largest Personalized preventive care company in the country. So we operate primary care practices focused on early engagement, prevention, wellness, and, and certainly chronic disease management for consumers. And when I say it's a consumer-centric healthcare company, unlike most healthcare delivery services, this is a company that is entirely funded from consumer payments out of their own pockets. So. Consumers pay an annual membership fee to work much more closely with their physician and those physicians more proactively engage in the management of their health. And it's very much with an eye towards prevention and early detection engagement. As you know, much of healthcare today is very much focused on sick care. Once an event happens or an illness occurs, then people tend to get much more actively engaged in their health. We're much more focused on helping consumers get ahead of their health and get in front of it to more proactively manage it. So we have a network now of about 800 physicians in 42 states. Some of those physicians are not yet open. We have about 670 physicians open and operating around the country. These are all primary care doctors, typically internal medicine physicians, though some of them are also family practitioners. And we have about 240,000 member consumers around the country.
0: Wow. Personally, I've been hearing this discussion about health care versus sick care getting louder and louder. And it's for me a very good thing. Is consumers gain more control of what's actually happening in healthcare? What's your perspective on this discussion on the healthcare versus sick care discussion?
1: Well, I do think there is a lot of increasing noise around it. So I think you're very right to discern that, and it's a lot more noise for a variety of reasons. So I think one healthcare is getting very expensive, whether it's the government. More employers paying for it. I think an awful lot of people feel the spending's been obviously moving at a much more rapid rate than it ought to over many, many years now. I personally believe one of the only ways we're gonna get ahead of this and maybe start to bend the cost curve overall with healthcare is to do two things one is to get the consumer get people more engaged in their health and hopefully earlier to get them more engaged in their health the second thing that i think needs to happen which is the earlier engagement means a greater focus on prevention and wellness and not just sick care so what that means is a practical matter if you actually just look at the arc of illness and a lot of the things that happen that are very very preventable For most people in the country an awful lot of heart disease is preventable a lot of diabetes is preventable a lot of hypertension is preventable and many of these things are early detection as well so there are things that can be known early enough And you can either avoid those kinds of chronic illnesses or certainly delay them for a long time, which saves the health system just massive amounts of money. And, of course, people feel better when they're more proactively managing their health. So there are an awful lot of people who may be 30, 40, 50 years old that are pre-hypertensive, pre-diabetic, maybe have heart risks that they're unaware of. And what we really try to focus our doctors and our members on is being proactive at determining those things early. And the way we do that is the cornerstone of the model of MDVIP is really an an annual wellness exam that our doctors do, and this is well beyond a typical quick physical that somebody might get. It's probably more akin to one of these comprehensive executive health physicals you've probably heard about. And more importantly is once they do that annual wellness exam, they have a coach, a physician, who has the time and the ability to help them manage towards those things. So in our case, whether it's a patient who's 70 years old and might already have a couple chronic illnesses they're trying to more effectively manage, or whether it's a 50-year-old who's trying to avoid some of those things, that's where we gauge our time and energy. And in our model, because it has a significant amount of consumer funding, it's a more personalized care model. And what that allows our doctors to do is to substantially reduce their patient panel size. So as you may know, a typical primary care doctor in this country has two, two and a half thousand patients, maybe even 3,000 or more patients depending on the market. And it's one of the reasons it's very difficult to get in-depth assessment and coaching and other things that a patient might need. Our doctors typically have three to 600 patients, and they're capped at 600 patients. So our doctors are in a situation where with, say, an average of just close to 400 patients, that they have the ability to actually manage that workload, spend more time with patients, less hurried appointments, better follow through, and things like that.
0: Wow, those numbers are staggering, 3,000 versus 300 patients. I can understand now why when I moved to Boston a few years ago, it took nine months before I was able to see a primary care doc for the first time.
1: Yeah, and there are a lot of markets where that's true, and it's unfortunate. I can't really blame the primary care docs. They're working very hard, and an awful lot of them are overloaded. Again, in our model of care, what we're trying to do is make sure that there's a much more active level of engagement by both the consumer and the doctor, and and it yields good results. I would tell you the company has had terrific clinical outcomes with our patients. You may know some of the things that often people are talking about in terms of some of the broken areas of our health system, there's a massive amount of uh, avoidable hospitalizations. There's a massive amount of avoidable readmissions once people have been hospitalized and then discharged, and they often get re-hospitalized for the same issues. At MDVIP, again, uh, because it's a much more active engagement with Consumers, we have and uh, many years of proven data to show 70, 80 percent reductions in hospitalizations and ER visits. So the doctors are more actively engaged and and I think able to keep people out of the hospital, particularly those unnecessary visits. Um, And second, we have about a 90 percent reduction in readmission rates. So if people go in, let's say for a heart attack or something, and they get stabilized and they're discharged. For an awful lot of illnesses out there, there are 15, 20, 25 percent readmission rates for the same issue, and at MDVIP, those readmission rates tend to run about one percent. So it's a pretty substantial difference in outcomes as well.
0: Well, you're talking right to my data nerd. I love those statistics. Thanks for providing those. What do you think are some of the forces out there driving the growth of your model?
1: Well, I think a couple of things. I think your experience was one, that kind of experience where people are sometimes having trouble getting the kind of access to doctors they would like, or perhaps they get access to the doctor and it's it's a long time wait to get the appointment, it's a long time waiting in the waiting room, and then it's often a very short time actually spent with the doctor. And again, I say this with all sympathy to doctors because they don't really have a choice, right, for a typical primary care doctor. They can't really control their reimbursement rates and a primary care doctor. And and so what happens is their overhead continues to go up, and the only thing that they can do to deal with the financial viability of their practice is to take on more patients, unfortunately, I think that leads to a worse patient experience and worse patient outcomes, right? So the things that are driving our model are some of that dynamic. We have an awful lot of patients, when presented with the opportunity to have a more personalized and preventive care model, say, yeah, I'm I'm in. It's not free. As I mentioned, consumers pay an annual membership fee, and those t- typically those annual membership fees are 1500 to $1,800 a year, which isn't a small cost now in the scheme of, things when you look at avoided hospitalizations and readmissions and all of that stuff, I think the model pays for itself pretty well over time, but it is still an incremental cost out of the consumer's pocket. And we try to help consumers keep it in perspective. I mean, it's the cost of your cable bill or a Starbucks a day or less than a pack of cigarettes a day. So when we try to talk to people about engaging in their health, MDVIP and this sort of doctor-led healthcare is an affordable approach. And when, when the company originally came up with even the pricing model, it was really meant to be an affordable personalized care model, right? The things that are driving is you get people who are getting more and more awareness of their care needs and the importance of prevention and wellness. You get a system that is probably conspiring against a, a good patient experience. And you get payers, particularly employers, who are shifting a lot of the costs more and more to consumers, to their employees. So for the first time, you're seeing consumers who are getting much more increasingly aware of the cost of their care. If you go back, as you know, 10, 20 years ago, a very small piece of the care, either the premium, Or what was deducted out of your paycheck to cover part of the the insurance premium, or what your copay was for a doctor visit. All of those things were quite small and and they've now doubled and tripled in magnitudes. So today, maybe instead of it being 0 or 5 or 10% of that cost burden being borne by the employee or the consumer, now that's migrated up to 20%, 30% depending on the employer. So that too is driving it. You get more of an economic pull into the discussion where the consumer is being forced to be a little bit more aware of their spend. And I think overall that's a good thing, right? There's nowhere else in the economy where historically we've been so left out of the decision of what kind of health care insurance to buy or left out of the decision about what's quality healthcare, what the costs are. Because of the nature of how it was paid, the consumers were really left out of it. And we tend to get much more front and center in it. And I think that's a movement that's gonna continue in a big way.
0: You know, I heard a statistic at the AHIP Institute, which is a big health plan conference each year last month in Nashville. To your point, in 2014, 27% 27% of the cost of healthcare was borne by us as the consumer. Within three to five years, that'll be over 50%. At that point, we'll be consumers in healthcare. Right now, we're migrating from being patients who stood behind this employer paid health system. And as we become consumers, I think it's important to have companies like you guys ready that are already set up to be consumer based companies because right now, both providers and health plans, and health plans are getting the consumerism message very strong, but uh, providers are going to have to get on board very quickly because three to five years in healthcare care time may take 10 to 12 years, but that's still very fast to re-engineer your whole model.
1: Absolutely, and that statistic of 27 percent is exactly the point I was making when today I said consumers are twenty to thirty percent dependent on employer, it's that. And by the way, you know I'm I'm involved also with another company that does on-site health for large self-insured employers, and I can tell you. And as an employer myself, I can tell you that most of us look at healthcare spend, whether you're spending two million or a hundred million on healthcare as an employer. All you generally know is that if it's a hundred million this year, next year it's a hundred and ten million, and you have no ability to affect and move that spend. You have no visibility on costs, on price transparency, on quality of what you're buying. And I think these things are changing. There are companies that are changing that are trying to get more transparency on it, but it's really unlike any other area of what uh, either a consumer or an employer would spend money because there's just no other circumstance under which you would offer to buy something and, and somebody won't tell you the price. or the benefits of what you're buying, right, or the quality of what you're buying. So I think this will change, but it's, you know, it's a big system. As you know, the healthcare system in the U.S. is almost $4 trillion. Well, I don't know, probably half or two-thirds the size of China's entire economy. So it's a crazy big number, and it's pretty hard to move. But in every area you see movement, towards consumer engagement. So we've been doing this for 15 years, so we're certainly very early in a consumer-centric movement, but you not only see that 27% number that you mentioned where consumers are bearing a bigger amount of the cost, both in terms of the premium carve-out that they pay through their paycheck or what they pay in the form of a copay or a visit those things are changing, but also how we buy healthcare is changing. I think as recently as five years ago, I think only about five or 10% of employers offered high deductible plans with HSA pairing and things like that. Well, today, that's over 80%. And I think five years ago, maybe 3%, 3%, 4 5% of consumers were using those plans, and today it's about 25%. So that's really, I think, the start of something much bigger where an employer is putting more of the money in the hands of the consumer, and then the consumer can vote what to do with it. And the consumer, the more the money is put in their hands to make a purchase decision, it'll be like any other form of insurance or any other service they buy that they'll get more actively engaged and what are they getting for it. And, and all of that speaks well for us because our model is HSA-qualified and FSA-qualified, and it is something that somebody can take that high-deductible health plan and pair it nicely with this kind of a personalized care model.
0: Well, and I think as consumers, as we migrate from patients to consumers, and what are people going to do first? You mentioned it in your statistics, they're going to migrate to the high, the HSAs, and only be protected against catastrophic events. And they're not going to realize that insurance is a risk-based product. And if they just go to a, a high deductible plan and basically a catastrophic plan, and they don't have a way to manage their risk, like MDVIP or some other service like that, a large percentage of consumers are going to be in a bad space. So I'm glad to see companies like you coming in uh, early, and you've been at this, you said, 13, 14 years, with a mature model to help consumers through that, because the first instinct of consumers going to be spend less money, not understanding that they're going to be taking on a ton of risk by doing that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And so much of this stuff does beg for the need to have more transparency on quality costs and other things. For the last many years I've done high deductible health plans and in a couple of different environments and, and I can tell you the quality of the data, even for somebody like myself who's relatively informed about healthcare and healthcare costs, it's not an easy place to navigate in terms of getting exposure to the information and getting the right information before you need things. I mean consumers are very used to you know you go in and you have a pain in your knee, and your primary care docs is "All right, let me refer you over to this orthopedic surgeon and do an MRI over there." And you don't know if it's a one-five Tesla machine or a three Tesla machine. You don't know if it's a fifteen hundred dollar procedure or a five hundred dollar procedure. There's just no data, and most people
0: don't even ask for it. With that, Intrepid Healthcare will return with our guest, Brett Jorgensen. After this quick break, we'll be right back. CTG Health Solutions is proud to have been your trusted advisor for healthcare IT consulting services for over 25 years. In that time, CTG Health Solutions has provided healthcare strategic, technical, and operational consulting support to more than 600 healthcare provider and payer organizations. CTG Health Solutions satisfied clients are supported by some of the most talented healthcare consultants who have chosen CTG Health Solutions as their work home in large part due to the company's outstanding culture. As they say, the proof is in the pudding. CTG Health Solutions was named a Modern Healthcare Best Places to Work company again last year. Find out more about CTG Health Solutions and their world-class culture by liking them on Facebook or stopping by their website at www.ctghs.com. And we're back with Brett Jorgensen, Chairman and CEO of MDVIP. Brett How does MDVIP choose your doctors?
1: That is a complicated process for sure. I mean, there are a lot of terrific doctors out there. And as I said, I'm often sympathetic to the demands, especially on primary care doctors, to be able to deliver the kind of care that they want. But we do a couple of things. We do rely heavily on our existing network to refer appropriate physicians for peer review and things like that. We do do fairly sophisticated data analysis on all of our doctors so that we know socioeconomically who's in their panel, what kind of insurance they have, what their age is, what their income level is, so that we can predictably know, all right, what proportion of those patients are likely to be able to buy or willing to to buy. But then we do sometimes a much softer approach. So assuming we clear those hurdles, we go through a next phase that gets a little bit more complicated, which is doing a phone survey on about 10% of their patient panel where we'll actually engage in a conversation. We have a call center, and these people are trained to, to talk to the patients about, not just what's going on with the doctor, their attentiveness, the quality of care, the staff, the consumer's interest in prevention and wellness, their perception of the doctor's interest in that. So there are a number of questions that we ask. And of course, the interrelationship of those questions are very predictive in a model. And, and we have now literally, we have data on tens of millions of data points on millions of consumers that we've done analysis on and phone calls and And we track, you know, who buys and who doesn't buy and things like that. So that whole process from the surveying perspective is in significant part meant to vet out the perception of quality in the eyes of the patient, which is very important, right, because it's part of it's bedside manner and part of it's thoroughness and attentiveness and other things. And then beyond all of that, of course, we do normal stuff that people do as well. We credential on them, we do background checks, and we do things like that to make sure that there are no gotchas in that process. And then once we actually agree to work with a doctor, and unfortunately about 80 plus percent of the doctors that we engage with fall out of the process at some point pre-credentialing and mostly not because they don't want to do it, but mostly because we've come to the conclusion it won't work in their case for any number of reasons. But then once people go through that process and they go through credentialing and then we go through a conversion process with the consumers, again, we speak to an awful lot of consumers about the physicians through that process as well. So in the end, we think it's a pretty thorough vetting process. But obviously, at the end of the day, the doctor's got to go in and do great care, and hopefully they do. And I'm sure even within our network, there's certainly variability in, in how they deliver care because we don't manage how they deliver care day in and day out. That's what they are licensed to do, right?
0: That's right. What is the mix of a typical practice in terms of patient mix?
1: A typical practice has just under 400 patients, and... Fairly evenly split, male, female. The average age of a practice is, patient age is 64. So, most of the consumers who buy are kind of in that 50 to 80 age group. And they're buying for different reasons, right? I mean, somebody who's 50 years old is more likely to be buying to be more proactive in managing our health to hopefully avoid downstream problems. Somebody who's 70 or 75 might be joining to more effectively manage chronic illnesses that they already have. As you probably know, a typical 70-year-old Medicare patient has a couple of chronic illnesses already. And so they have more complex needs. They're a little bit more of a frequent flyer to the doctor. And in terms of income level, our patients tend to look not too unlike what they looked like, what the practice looked like before. It certainly is, we have an awful lot of just sort of working class consumers who just value their health and, and decide they want to invest in it more proactively. We have lots of truck drivers, teachers, retired folks, but we have executives. We have a lot of middle class, upper middle class folks as well. It is a, a $1,500 to $1,800 incremental healthcare spend, so it's not insignificant, and we're aware that not everybody can afford that, but it is affordable, we think, to most people who are interested in that. And the members do, like I said, skew. The average age is 64, but kind of interestingly, the oldest patient in our network is 111, wow. and we have, we have over 300 patients over 100 years old, and the average doctor in our network is about 58 years old.
0: Wow. Impressive. How do patients benefit most from the model? Is it all about convenience and better access to physicians?
1: Well, that's certainly part of it, but we don't, uh, the model itself is not based on access. And as as you probably know, you can't actually charge people for access. Obviously, one of the benefits of a smaller patient panel is the doctor is more available, so therefore access does improve. But the, the cornerstone of what the consumer is buying is an annual wellness exam. And an unhurried hour and a half, two-hour exam that's quite thorough and goes through all kinds of of tests to establish an annual baseline of health and then a doctor who knows that patient based on that baseline and based on the fact they have a smaller panel visits throughout the year then are unhurried they our doctors typically set aside a half an hour for a visit so it's not one of those six or eight minute kind of rushed visits it's one that's meant to be thorough so that when a patient leaves, they understand what the doctor's told them. When the patient leaves, they, they're clear on their medication management and things like that. Because a lot of the problems, hospitalizations that occur, a lot of readmissions, and a lot of health problems and healthcare costs occur because patients are often a little confused or not really clear on what they're supposed to be doing. And maybe they're not as effective at adhering to their drug regimen because they're not as clear about it. So there are benefits for having a more unhurried appointments like that and when it comes time when something happens as well, again, you know, our patients don't buy access as part of what they're buying, but it is certainly a, a part of the, the package, if you will, because if somebody's at home and they feel sick, and they, what might normally happen in healthcare is they, especially off hours, they might call the practice and they would get an answering service, and, of course, it would say, look, if, if this is urgent, go to the ER. And a lot of times it's not a necessary thing. Well, our patients have typically have the doctor's cell phone number, the email account. They can pick up the phone, and I think very importantly, they're likely to reach their doctor live. Second is when they reach that doctor, that doctor knows who they are. And that doctor knows exactly what's going on with their health. And it's much easier for them to say, no, that doesn't sound like a heart attack. Why don't you come into the office and see me? Or I can come by to see you or any number of things. And so those big, costly events occur much, much less frequently with MDBIP because of that whole dynamic. So all of that is really what the patient's buying is basically – a good baseline health assessment, and a doctor who's partnered with them in in managing their health.
0: Great. How does your program work with some of the other infrastructure in the healthcare system, like health spending accounts and flexible spending accounts and higher deductible plans?
1: Well, I think they'll, it will pair very nicely with those things. And as you might guess, as somebody who's involved in consumer-centric healthcare, I'm a big believer in those plans. We make MDVIP services available to our own employees as well with our own doctors. So they are HSA qualified and they are flexible spending account qualified. And again, this is because it's an investment in their healthcare overall. So it pairs very nicely with that. I think in an ideal world, I think it works best with a high-deductible plan where you can get more carve-out for primary care.
0: Right. We mentioned before some statistics. Have you published any data that supports your success of the model?
1: Yeah. We've published a number of studies, and these are peer-reviewed, real publications, right, where you have to pass uh, through a filter of not only uh, physician peer review, but also statistical significance and things like that. So so one, for example, I touched on this notion of, of avoided hospitalizations in ER visits. That was a published study. We've done that study for many years now, but it has been published to show that Literally, Medicare could actually pay the membership fee of our members. They don't, but they could pay it and get almost a 200% return on their investment. So it's a pretty significant investment where the investment in that health care avoids a lot of downstream costs. So a couple of years ago, for example, the avoided hospitalizations was about $300 million in value. So we have done studies around that. We've also done studies around inflammatory markers. We had one published recently. As part of our uh, annual wellness exam, most of our consumers have not just lab work done, but they actually have lab work that includes an inflammatory marker. And as you may know, this it's not part of a standard lab test, but it does do a terrific job at identifying heart risk and MI risk that that wouldn't be identifiable just by conventional things like high cholesterol. A lot of people who have heart attacks, in fact, an awful lot of, nearly half, an awful lot of people who have heart attacks actually present fairly normal cholesterol levels. So it's not the only indicator of, of heart attack risk. So that's an example of something that we have a very big baseline study with a lot of consumers with repeat tests on that, to show, in fact, it does a better job of detecting uh, heart attack and stroke risk. So that's another study. We just had one recently published that compares conventional primary care, preventional medicine with our model on a consumer satisfaction level. And the satisfaction level differences were just huge, right? So we have now today, for a decade, we've been measuring consumer satisfaction across a whole bunch of parameters, satisfaction with the model, satisfaction with the doctor, satisfaction with responsiveness, coordination of hospital care, a whole bunch of things. And routinely, our members rate a satisfaction level in the mid-90s across each of those parameters, very unusual in healthcare, right? And so this last study we just recently did really compared how consumers view the satisfaction level between the two. And it, it was Markedly different. I mean, in some cases, you get the satisfaction of MDVIP depending on the parameter. It might be 50% higher, might be 100% higher, might be 200% higher, but it was always higher. And so that was an interesting study. And then one last one that was kind of a, there's some others as well, but another interesting one we co-published with Optum, big insurance, or part of United, was an interesting one that actually tried to get to the point of Sometimes people said, oh, well, you get better outcomes, but you have better doctors. Well, we do like to think we have terrific doctors, but we were trying to make the argument that, yes, we get better outcomes because we have great doctors, but we get better outcomes because we have great doctors who are practicing a different model of care. And it's that model structurally that leads to better outcomes. And so a study we did with them was kind of interesting where we took some doctors that transitioned to MDVIP. And we took their own Medicare Advantage population going back several years pre-conversion to MDVIP and going forward a few years post-conversion of MDVIP. So it's the same doctor. So, the, so there's no variability about we gave them a great doctor now. It's, it's the same doctor managing the same chronic illnesses with an elderly population. And it ended up saving about $1,000 that first year on the exact same patient population. And so that was a very interesting study because it sort of took the doctor out of it, or at least at least the quality of the doctor, and really got to the heart of the matter. What are they doing with these patients pre and post, you know, adoption of this model? So there are a number of studies like that. We're always working on some. Our chief medical officers always working on things in the pipeline. But those are some of the examples, though.
0: So. Just fascinating. Thank you for sharing those. Those are things that not only me, but our audience eat right up. Brett, before we let you go, where can people go to learn more about MDVIP?
1: Well, we do, of course, have a website, mdvip.com, and that's probably the best place. We do also have Twitter and Facebook accounts and all that. But if you look on the mdvip.com website, you'll see plenty about the model. You'll see literally thousands of patient testimonials that and many, many of those uh, video testimonials about our doctors. And then all of our doctors have microsite profiles within the MDVIP site. So because we're in 42 states, your listeners can certainly look at local physicians and who they are and get right down into the individualized physician profiles as well.
0: Perfect. Thank you. That was Brett Jorgensen, Chairman and CEO of MDVIP. Brett, it was great to have you. Thanks for stopping by today. Yeah,
1: Thanks, Joe. Really enjoyed
0: it. All right. That wraps this broadcast. On behalf of our guest, Brett Jorgensen, I'm Joe Lavelle. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare. What you want, you want, what you want, you want, what you want, Come
1: What you want, you want, what you want.